subscription just hope that you enjoyed this rare and infamous moment that combines a first-rate disaster with genuine historical significance. But now it's time to take a deep breath and get those cameras out as we prepare to temporally reset you to one of the most fantastic catastrophes in history. Are you ready? everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher here with Tom, as always. Tom, how are you? I am just spiffy. Excellent. Now, officially in the new year now, we are recording in 2023. Hope you had a good new year. I did. I hope you did as well. It was fine. It was uneventful. It was just a nice, quiet weekend. That works. Plenty of time to do stuff and uh, cram in a couple extra movies right before the new year. I did uh, tally those up. I posted this on the social medias and everything. I did 157 movies in 2022. Just a couple. Just a few. I don't feel too bad, though, because I posted it at a couple places, and there was a few people that piped in with their own count, and they were in over 200. So I'm not quite up to that level yet. What, what, what's wrong, man? Are you feeling all right? <laughs> I know. I don't know, 157 is actually, I think, probably my highest count of the of the years that I've tallied. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I think you got a 356 in you. I could try, but then when would I record? You know, there's, I've got to take those nights to record time shifters and stuff. Well, yeah, but then you watch a movie after. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think most of the time it's usually around in the, the, the one teens, one twenties. I haven't actually tallied in a, in a few years, so I figured it w- I was due. Yeah, I, I got a feeling if you had uh, tallied our our year where we did 31 horror films. Would have increased the number a little I, bit. I think your numbers might have gone up a bit. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But as I said, I did post that on all the social medias. Just so you know, you can find us on like Facebook, Twitter, Mastodon, uh, Reddit, and uh, where else? Uh, am i well pretty much i think that's it (laughs) but we are out there if you want to join any of those locations the link is in the show notes to follow to get to any of the social media platforms one of those films i watched is something we talked about uh, an episode or two ago i did watch enemy mine yes well worth a rewatch man i was so happy to watch that again Interestingly enough, I, I was catching one of those little uh, clickbait articles to uh, where uh, people were talking about movies that wish they were a Star Trek episode, and actually, Enemy Mine came up as one. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it definitely fit would fit more in the Star Trek universe than something like it's often compared to uh, being a Star Wars clone. Mainly for the opening and ending of the film. I, I, I suppose, but uh, it dealt more with the um, the more intellectual tropes that Star Trek tends to deal with, which usually revolve around just miscommunication and learning to talk to one another. That was a big focus of Enemy Mind. It still holds up. It's still a great film as far as that goes. As I said, the, the, the opening of the film is, you know, uh, laser space battle stuff. Sure. And the effects are, it's, what, 1984? No. What year was it? I don't. I already forgot. But 
it is, I think it was like 84 or something like that. It is the effects that you would expect at the time. Sure. You know, they don't date terribly well. And they don't need to be there. You honestly could cut out the first 10 minutes and the last 20 minutes of that film and still have a really good movie. Well, yeah, and I think those are intended as intention grabbers. Uh, mm-hmm. get, get you in the door, get you in your seat, get you excited, and explain, okay, there's 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 warring factions, and now we're going to deal with two people from each side. Although it's not explicitly stated, but you easily could read into it that really the humans are the bad guys in this film. Sure. When they talk about they go into space and then they, they find this other race with the Drac and the Drac are trying to claim squatter rights on some uh, some planets. I'm thinking, wow, this is like a statement on colonialism here. <laughs> this um, is... Yeah, this and the other side of it um, and, and where the whole Star Trek cross came in was the notion of what if you took the concept of Starfleet or the Federation and made them not so not necessarily the good guy. Um, and mm-hmm. in this case, the humans are not necessarily the good guys. I'll tell you what does hold up is the special is the uh, makeup effects. Yeah. Of of the Drax, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is just looks incredible mm-hmm. through the entire film. He puts his all into it. Uh, the Drac language, the way he he talks and 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 says his lines. Apparently, the whole uh, he did a lot of like um, guttural noises or like. Uh, Kind of like, you know, spit in the back of your throat kind mm-hmm. of noises or something. That was like Gossett Jr.'s idea to do that. Well, yeah. And like, it was just something that he could do since he was a kid. Well, and then using it to effect on the the song that he ends up teaching. Mm-hmm. And it just, and, and it comes off, despite it, it, it's completely alien style nature, it comes off still kind of beautiful. Oh, no, absolutely. That's. It, it really is an amazing language what they do because it is something that sounds rather aggressive and frightening and then can also be incredibly beautiful when it's sung like like it is. Really great film. Uh, it will not be 20, 30 years, whatever it was, since the last time I watched this before I watch it again. Yeah. I think I need to add this to like permanent collection. No, it is a very good film. Always far too relevant. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, talking about Star Trek, that's a good segue. There was an article someone posted, I think uh, Cam Sullivan posted it in the uh, the Facebook group. It was an article from GamerRant.com. It was the five Star Trek villains who don't get enough love. Yeah. They compiled this list. And there's two on here that I absolutely agree with. I'll run down the list here. We'll talk about them a little bit. Because I think uh, one or two you might know better than I. Okay. Uh, Right off the top of the bat, Gary Mitchell. Sure. Which was in the, I guess, the second uh, official... uh, Episode, yeah. Technically, I guess, the the, the true premiere. (laughs) I'm blanking on the name. I can almost picture the title of the episode, because... Where No Man's Gone Before? No. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. Edit. But yeah, so uh, the pilot is the word I kept looking for. This was the, the official uh, pilot of the of the original series where we see uh, one of the crew of the Enterprise that gets sort of uh, his ESP ability gets jacked to 11 and it drives him crazy and turns him into like a 
super villain mm-hmm. and he's effectively maybe killed or at least trapped at the end of the episode and you never hear of Gary Mitchell again. Yeah. And that is unfortunate. That is definitely a character that should have gotten some reprisal or acknowledgement later in the franchise. Some sort of follow-up to how it happened and is he still around? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, number two on their list was the Intendant from the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes. Uh, This was a character played uh, by... She was uh, Kira Norris in in the evil world. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Honestly... If I hadn't read the article, I wouldn't even remembered that that happened. But I wasn't a huge DS9 fan, so maybe that's why. I, I've been trying to make my... I have yet to actually finish that series because, like many of us back in the 90s, uh, it got lost in syndication hell for a while. Mm. So trying to watch them in the order in which they were intended became difficult. And I had I am only now getting around to going back and finishing series like Deep Space Nine. So I, I'm familiar with the character at this point. Uh, actually, she was kind of interesting and compelling. I don't know if she really requires a revisit, though. They went back to the original series for uh, the third spot for Trelane. Yes. I've often heard uh, versions or at least theories that Trelane uh, is essentially where the Q continuum comes from. Or definitely a young Q, something like that. I think that was actually explored in novel form. Was it? I, be- I believe the novel Q squared okay. dealt with Q as we know him from next gen and Trelane returning. Interesting. Yeah. Again, just a nod or an acknowledgement or something to that person. Well, I mean, even when we introduced the Q character in Next Generation, you would have thought perhaps while they're trying to figure out who or what Q is, a review of records might have turned up uh, Trelane as somebody with similar abilities. Right. Yes, it should have. That, that's a character I'm kind of surprised. We get Harvey Mudd more than once, but we <laughs> get Trelane. Right. Trelane. Yeah, we've gotten Harvey Mudd, let's see, twice in the original series, and then we get him in Discovery. Yes. And yeah, and we and no no mention of Trelane. That's that is not fair. No, not 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 at all. Uh, for the number four spot, they go into one of the animated series. I think it's Prodigy for a character called Vinder. Oh, I just watched all the animated series too. Uh, who is Vinder? Uh, he was apparently some big guy that everyone thought that, but it turns out he's turn into like a sympathetic character i i'm not familiar with them at all i thought maybe you might yeah it sounds familiar uh interestingly enough uh while i don't have a lockdown because i've only watched the animated series of star trek through once but i did actually kind of find it um far more compelling than i was expecting uh, hmm. Because one, it was great that they got all the original voice actors, or all the original actors to do the voices of their characters. But part of what it did that the original series just couldn't do, based on cost alone, was actually have more aliens. Oh sure. So oh, you're talking the original animated series? Yeah, the original animated no. series. So mm-hmm. um, 
I found actually as a follow-up to the original series, some of those stories and some of the characters that they included, since it's a half hour and it's super quick and all that, yeah, there's a lot missing. But the base stories that are there, and like you're saying, some of these characters were really kind of good. No, absolutely. I think this character was actually from one of the more modern animated series. I think he was from like Star Trek Prodigy or something like that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm flashing to the original series. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, as far as I could tell, I think it was from one of the newer. Uh, I I could if be it's from Bro- Prodigy, I know who they're talking about. And um, yes, as a as a villain, um, there's more to it. Uh, th- it would be nice to go further into that. I've only just recently started the second season of Prodigy, and they kind of did leave him behind. And it's not really clear what happened. So okay, um, that would be fun to revisit if it gets more time. All right, well, cool. So there's definitely one on here that maybe uh, would might has the potential to come back. <laughs> right. And their final one, I don't even remember these existing. Humanized Vulcans, apparently Vulcans that were embracing their emotions or something. This was from uh, Enterprise. I have no memory of this whatsoever. I, I I remember something about this. Oh no no no! I I exact I do remember this. This is the uh, they they found a ship. This is uh, actually supposed to be in the Enterprise timeline. This is the first time humans and um, particularly the um, um, I blanked on her name all of a sudden. Um, to Paul. To Paul. Thank you. This is the first time uh, the crew of the Enterprise and Paul herself are coming into contact with those that know how to do the mind meld. Oh, interesting. Oh, I don't remember this at all. Prior to, uh, which this gets a little fuzzy because, I mean, technically Spock should be alive mm-hmm. during Enterprise. And at least his father should be too. Sa- Savick should definitely be alive. Sark. Sark. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, right. Sorry. Should definitely be alive. Um, at any rate, yes, they get introduced to the uh, Vulcan mind melt, and there is a ship of traveling Vulcans that are in touch with their emotions, and it's part of what um, softens uh, to Paul for the rest of the C- series after that, is after she has this encounter with them, she does the mind meld she has to now do meditation constantly after because they've risen her emotions but it leads to the eventual relationship between her and trip gotcha so that is a series that i'd like to uh revisit one of these days because i because i haven't that's just not a series I mean, the next gen constantly comes up on it's on BBC America like every damn day. It was on Prime for a while. Um, you couldn't. You you could always find an episode. Um, I've got the uh, Blu-rays of the original series, so I can watch that whenever I want. Enterprise is one that just, you know, you have to go out of your way to try to find it. Yeah, and and I did manage to while it was because it was on Netflix and or Prime there for a while. 
um, before Paramount pulled everything over to its side. So, and now I have Paramount, so I could do that too. Uh, but Enterprise, I did get to do more recently in like the past couple year or two, do a full rewatch of the entire series, and it gets. It catches so much hell, but I think it was so much better than people gave it credit for. Um, granted, the third season's a little rocky um, because I don't think they knew where they were going with it. But first and second season are really solid. Um, yeah, I remember maybe it's third season. Was third season the uh, 9-11 parable? I don't remember. What are you referring to? That was the season where the the terrorist the, the the alien attack on Earth you know cuts a swath through Florida, and they 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 go off to try to exact revenge or something. Oh, that's second season. That's the that's, Zin, that's the Zindi attack. Yeah. Um. And then and and then this is to this day this is how I think of second season, and and the attack by the Zindi. Granted, there gets to be more to it, but. It so reminds me of first season of Star Blazers. See that? It, it's the it's the lone Earth ship traveling to a distant, far-reaching location that none of their other ships can go to so that they can go and save the day before the planet is destroyed. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just... Um, that season didn't sit well with me because it was obviously kind of based on real life events sort of thing 9-11 had just happened I think maybe the year prior and it just I think 9-11 was still a little too raw for me to want to see this sort of story in my Star Trek and I'd be curious to go back and watch it again and see if it uh, if I enjoy it anymore if it sits a little better with me now I've got like you know over a decade of uh time has passed see for me that season and the overall arching storyline may makes the enterprise series and actually sets the tone for the entire star trek universe because it is the entire notion that something terrible tragic has happened that we are going out into the universe to right this wrong but we actually take the time to learn as we go and not become just a savage act of revenge it's a, it, they take the time to actually start really thinking about why did this happen and they learn things along the way and they find ways to um the they, the people they think they're out to destroy they have the capacity to become their friends I think this was supposed to be a, a, a way to take art and give a path to a better way to be. Go and actually rebuild the relationship. Don't just react. Learn something. Well, if uh, if the world would take the lessons that Star Trek has taught for, what, 60 years? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We'd be in a lot better place. <laughs> The part that none of us actually ever take into account on almost any front, right down to personal, let alone global, political, geopolitical stuff, is the notion, okay, you get attacked. Your first inclination is to attack back. When maybe your first inclination go, why did I get attacked? What happened that caused this? Was I part of this in some way? Or is there something else going on? And that's what I need to understand. 
we don't take the time to do that. We should, <laughs> but we don't. Um, yeah. And that's what start. And that's why I like that season in particular. Is yes, we set out to do the wrong thing, and we rose above because we took the time to actually figure it out. So that, and then it also set the groundwork. The third season has some good stuff because of what happened in the second season because it becomes the foundation for creating the United Federation of Planets, which did not exist until the end of uh, the Enterprise arc. So like I said, that I, I would like to go and revisit that to see if I uh, see get a little bit more out of it than I might have when I was originally watching it. I think you should, yes. Yeah. But overall, I do remember enjoying the series, and mm-hmm. I, I agree that it gets a lot of hate that it does not deserve. No. The final episode gets a lot of hate, <laughs> and it deserves it. And I'm still on the fence on that one. I, I get it. I understand uh, the side of, you know, the, I, of those against. I do understand, and I, I see their point, but I also sort of don't mind it, but maybe it's just because... I'm a next-gen fan. <laughs> I'm a next-gen fan, too. I don't know that that should have been how that show went out, especially I, given what they were accomplishing in that episode. Right. I mean, that was, that was Star Trek history right there. That's the whole basis for everything that we watch <laughs> and everything mm-hmm. that we enjoy and believe in because of this show, that whole moment when... We become part of the greater universe and we decide that we're going we as a collective will now be better together than apart. That whole notion and to turn it into a, a holodeck episode was just kind of wrong. Yeah. No, no, like I said, I, I understand. I, I get it. Well, that's all I've been doing. That's all I wanted to bring up. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? I'm just going to put in one little plug for something that just came out today. I watched the trailer for this because of my own little fan fan arc for this. Is uh, Evil Dead Rises. Oh, I heard about this, and I didn't get a chance to go and check it out. Um, yeah, and, and please check it out, but go in understanding that as much as uh, all the work that Sam Raimi and, and Bruce Campbell did over the years um, with the Evil Dead stuff right into the uh, the Showtime series and all that, um, as much as there was comedy mixed in with their horror, this will not be that. <laughs> This is going to be straight up brutal horror. Understood. So, okay. it, I know the last attempt at the Evil Dead as taking it seriously movie was kind of the serious version of the Bruce Campbell story, uh, and it was okay. Uh, you knew what to expect. It was the same thing. This is something new. It looks pretty gruesome. I'm kind of looking forward to it, but it will not be the same as where it originated from. Give it a shot. Go check out a trailer. The thing's due out in April. Cool. Okay, well, with that, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll listen to a promo for another podcast. When we get back, we will look at 1993's Last Action Hero.
this, the wonderful Billy Flynn. Just some podcast that's supposed to be geeky. Podcasting's Rich Sigfrid. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. Screw that noise. I'm not going to try it. Hey, Flinstress, let's get Mikey. Do you mean critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason, who hosts the Beer Power Time Machine podcast? Yeah, but he won't listen. He hates everything. Hi, I'm critically acclaimed comedy rock star Mikey Mason. I don't often listen to podcasts, but when I do, make mine Geek Radio Daily. Hey, hey, hey man, that, that's a different promo. Between love and madness lies Geek Radio Daily. That's kind of accurate. There are some things money can't buy. GRD is free online. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Geek Radio Daily. Eh, we'll take it. Geek Radio Daily. All the geek without the weight. GeekRadioDaily.com A great classic comes to the screen. Take thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? To be or not to be? Not to be. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater, you hear me? This is the lieutenant governor. Slater, here's what I... Ooh. The governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. <laughs> Jack Slater 4. But tonight, a magic ticket... It's a passport to another world. ...will get Danny closer to the action... ...than anyone ever dreamed. I'm Danny Madigan, I'm a kid. And you're going with him. Who is this twerk? And where is that smile on his face? I don't even know this kid. To a world that's bigger than life. This ticket is magic, and it really works. And better than real. You really believe that you're inside a movie, don't you? Yes! The bad guys are in there. I've seen it. On screen. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? Have a nice day. Have him killed. This summer, it's head-on thrills. I have killed people smarter and younger than you. Head-first excitement. I hate when it happens. He's got the ticket! Now I possess power. Real power. He's gone over to my world! In this world, the bad guys can win! The door must still be open, come on! If I go, how do I get back? And it's coming at you from both sides of the screen. Where am I now? This isn't the movies anymore, Jack. Please be careful, things were different here. Damn it, that hurt! Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater. No! This hero stuff has its limits. And Jack Slater is... Everybody down! The last action hero. The big ticket for 93. I'll be back. Ha! You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do? 
Danny loves movies, especially the action film series Jack Slater, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. When he gets the opportunity to see Jack Slater 4 before it premieres, he jumps at the chance. Sneaking out of the apartment after his single mom goes to work, Danny makes his way to the Pandora Theater. There, his friend, the projectionist Nick, gives him a golden ticket that he claims was given to him by Harry Houdini. This ticket is supposedly magical, but Nick was never brave enough to try it. They tear the ticket, and Danny sits down to enjoy the show. Before he knows it, he is transported into the world of Jack Slater. Jack's favorite second cousin has been killed, and Danny knows more than he should about the crime, so the police chief makes him Jack's partner on the case. One impossible stunt, fight scene, and escape after another follows. But during one of the melees, Danny's ticket is taken by the hitman Benedict, who discovers its power and travels to the real world. Jack and Danny have to follow to stop him from killing the real Schwarzenegger. This film, directed by John McTiernan, who we know for Die Hard, Predator, and Hunt for Red October, to name just a few. And Tom, this was a nearly first-time watch for you. I gotta know, what did you think? Do you really? Yeah. (laughs) This thing is a holy nightmare. (laughs) Oh, what? Holy nightmare. Uh, It's not that it's not fun. Here's how I felt while I was watching this. This either needed to go full on, full tilt absurd, or take what it was trying to do seriously, but I don't think it landed well in either camp. Oh, interesting. I thought this film was a lot of fun. Not saying it's perfect. I think there definitely could have been another pass through the editing bay. I I think I'm on the other, other side of the fence from you on this one. No, and, and, and that's fair, and you can be. I just, I, I got what it was trying to do. It's just whenever they were trying to tell a joke, it didn't quite land. Um, there was nothing that, that I, either it was telegraphed a bajillion miles away or it was done so quickly it didn't get a chance to actually hit the way that it should. Um, Mm. And then because the way that this is, um, because this is the kid going into the film, and the kid is familiar with movie making, so there's no sense of urgency in, in any of the action that goes on while he's in Slater's world because... No matter what, that's always going to turn out okay. That's mm-hmm. the point. Well, that's kind of the joke. No, I, I, I get that. But that we live in that joke a little too long, a little too often. And then when we cross over into the real world where we don't know necessarily how it'll happen, it still all plays out exactly like you think it'll happen. There's all sorts of opportunity to actually have Schwarzenegger and Slater do more together, but they don't. Um, I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't land for me. Uh, it's not that I hated it. It was just not. I was expecting more. This is actually where for me this fits into our theme for right now. Is it's a good idea. And it looks kind of good doing it, granted, for 1993. 
but it just doesn't quite get there for me. While they're in the movie world, I got a big kick out of, you know, Danny trying to convince Jack that this that he's is in a movie. movie. <laughs> that he's in a movie. And all the ridiculous things going on. You know, there's everyone in the world is beautiful. There's every kind of cast of character in the uh, like L.A. police station. That, in, including that a cartoon in a cat. Cop show. What's that? <laughs> including a cartoon cat that happens to be Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get to see the, uh, the T-1000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's tons of great cameos uh, throughout the film. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the whole scene in the uh, blockbuster is fantastic. They go in like the Terminator starring Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm not saying that 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 wasn't cute. I I just I didn't feel like it landed like it quite quite should have. And, and I don't know, uh, maybe the the kid was almost a little over enthusiastic. Uh, I don't know. Um, there's just something it didn't have it didn't have all the elements that I was looking for out, out of a notion of where you're supposed to bend the idea uh, of going between the actual movie world and reality and what that would mean. I felt like that at some point too and I don't know why I'm flashing on it at this point, but Charles dances character Benedict uh, when he ends up in the real world and he he, he walks up and murders somebody and he's waiting because in the movie world, you shoot somebody, the cops come immediately. Right. But that didn't happen. And I think they were trying to make a statement there, but it didn't land. Like, mm. it, 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 there was no emotional attachment to what was happening at that time. Well, I, I thought that the message that they were trying to portray, I thought was pretty well delivered. I, I thought it worked perfectly fine. Um, the, the satire and the ridiculousness of action movies as it's being played out in the movie world, I mm -hmm. thought was done really well. The, I mean, everyone survives except for like the, 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 the big explosion mm -hmm. and they're, th everyone's thrown the same thing, but the two random cops are killed, but Jack's fine. <laughs> Um, you know, he, he can play chicken with the bad guys. And of course the chi the bad guys are going to swerve first because Jack's the hero. Uh, all that stuff, uh, works for me. It, not to spoil too much, but the idea that, you know, Jack gets injured in the real world and he has to get him back to the movie world where it'll just be a flesh wound. Uh, <laughs> you know, all of it. It's like, yeah, this is every Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger film and, uh, you know, you name it film that came out in the, in the 80s and really up to today. This is what happens and it's ridiculous. And I think they may do a great job of pointing out how ridiculous it is and kind of poking fun at it. Oh, no, they, they do. Um, but like I said, uh, it was successful in delivering what it was trying to do. I just felt like it either needed to punch it up more or actually try to be more serious. It, it, it For me, it sat somewhere in the middle and didn't quite capture my attention like I wanted it to. Part that I didn't care for the 
much is when they get back to the real world, mm-hmm. Benedict is in the real world. He knows the power of the ticket. He's using the power of the ticket to jump back and forth between you know the movie world and the real world. And it's the idea that he could pull people from other films into the real world with this thing. That, I don't think, is played enough. That could have been really fun. He he does it once by pulling in the Ripper right. from Jack Slater three or two, whichever you know previous Jack Slater film. I think it would have been really cool if he had actually kind of, if we could have spent more time in the real world with him putting together sort of a gang of movie villains. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm going with my my thought that it didn't quite go as far as it should have. Uh, it was fairly unoriginal to to pull another Slater villain um, a, as your cohort for for this. This is where it, it gets muddled for me. Um, as he's as the kid is busy trying to teach Slater that he is in a movie, there are occasions where you see that maybe he's latching on to the idea that his story's not quite complete. Because all of a sudden he starts remembering his son from the prior movie, which is not mentioned in in this Slater 4 movie. But in Slater 3, his son dies in that. And he's starting to attach some memory to it, which is where the whole why we want to redo Ripper and we want to redo Ripper with the, the new kid to, to call back to that. But... He never achieves that full emotional attachment to the son he supposedly lost because it's all fictional. Uh, so do, replaying it all over again with the Ripper and, and Danny, yeah, it doesn't quite make it. So yes, the idea that instead of trying to bring that in, go out to all these other films and go get other characters. The only other character from another film, from any other film, which I did kind of enjoy, was when Ian McKellen shows up as Death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he is, and what's interesting, which doesn't kind of play with where they're going with this, is when he pulls him out, when he gets pulled out as Death, instead of uh, Death being the character that he was in that movie, he is actually death. Yeah, it doesn't really make a lot of sense in the universe that they created. No, so so they, they kind of break their own rule in this. And again, yeah. I'd be okay with it, but they didn't go over the top with everything else. So now we've got just this one element that doesn't sit in the rest of it. And it's kind of like, okay, it's cute, but this doesn't fit with what you were doing. So, See, I actually think... Um, Jack Slater not showing any, you know, connection between his lost son and Danny, I think makes just as much sense as anything else because that is also a very much an action movie where your hero is perfectly fine with everything until he needs to not be. Right. No. And that's exactly what how this movie plays out. No, if it, it, like I said, it, it's still effective at making fun of action movie tropes. 
It, it points out all the things that we all know when we go to see a film. You go to see an action film, and there's a big box, big box office name as the lead action hero. Nothing's happening to him. Yes, he'll get banged up along the way, but he'll be fine. <laughs> He's coming out the other side. No way around that. And that's and that was what they were picking on in this to a to a, a laughable degree, but. I feel like they should have made it even more funny than it was. Well, I wonder if that one more pass through the editing bay that it, that I was talking about, I wonder if that would have saved it uh, for you. I wanted to see the Hamlet. <laughs> yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jack Slater is Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, because uh, that part... Oh, what, what was the tagline? Something stinks in the state of Denmark. So, something's rotten in the state of Dem- Denmark, and Hamlet is taking out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've got that line pulled up here because yes, that was that was amazing. I uh, that that was a very genuinely funny moment, especially since that that's just the dream sequence that Danny is having. <laughs> I don't know if it's a dream sequence or if we're actually seeing like a trailer for something else that Jack <laughs> Slater has done. Well, you got to remember, Jack Slater is the is the character. Oh right, yeah, yeah, he is point. just straight. It's still Arnold Schwarzenegger. The other cute part, and I, I I giggled when it happened every now and then when Schwarzenegger would on purpose get his own name wrong. When he was being yeah, Jack I'm Slater, Arnold Braunschweiger. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, that was funny. I, I enjoyed that. No, I think it's brilliant. I think it was a fantastic opportunity for Schwarzenegger to play, you know, something with a little bit more humor and kind of poke fun at himself. And there's a lot of people that will didn't like the film for that very reason because they went to see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. They wanted to see Predator. They wanted to see Conan the Barbarian and they get Arnold Schwarzenegger doing comedy. Yeah. See, if you went there going to, uh, for that, then that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew what this was. Uh, 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 I knew what this was even in 1993. I didn't manage to catch this in 1993. So, um, but no, I, I understood the premise, uh, and I would have been fine. And actually, now uh, it actually has me uh, wondering, what year was Twins? I think that may have been prior to this, because I think that's when Schwarzenegger and DeVito kind of first teamed together. Actually, no. Uh, actually, yes. Uh, Twins was 1988. So that would explain why Danny DeVito might show up as the voice of the cat yeah. in this. Uh, but I mean, if you s- saw twins, you know, Arnold was capable of a comedic role. Well, maybe because this probably was marketed as a bit more of an action film versus the comedy. Yeah. And that, that's Whereas the twins was obviously marketed as a comedy. Right. And, and that's the part We'd have to take our put it go to the wayback machine and uh, figure out how it was actually marketed at the time. Yeah, I, sh- I should have dug up. I did not on this one, and I should have went and tried to find an original trailer. The funny thing is because I've watched them in the order that I have. Like I said, I, I didn't really watch Last Action Hero till now, other than bits and pieces of it. 
So me seeing Charles dance in the the character that he played in Last Action Hero, when my more uh, immediate recollection of him is um, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so seeing him in this not so serious bad guy role after playing one of the worst one of the most horrible villains ever um in, in a in a truly popular series and then watching this i'm like wow <laughs> that's a little different there's so many fun things that they they make a point of of poking fun at this thing because it's it's all the every time you you watch a film, and you can't help but go, "How did they get clean already?" And, and you know, why? Wait, they just jumped into the water and now they're dry. Uh, you know, uh, Jack Slater jumps into the La Brea tar pits. Oh and yeah, comes out and just uses paper towels to clean himself off. Which it's um, not clear where the paper towels come from. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just it's the movie. Sure. <laughs> and then of course his daughter shows up conveniently oh hi i thought you want to change your clothes <laughs> what <laughs> no i i love it it's all the things that you've sat there and scratched your head over watching some stupid action film and it's it's played out in this and they're actually saying yeah that's it's it's stupid but we're going with it yeah no i and those part uh, those were fun um I, I don't know. I was looking for a little different in the, uh, difference in the delivery, I guess. Um, some of them were like drive-by shootings. Sometimes they get off a line, and like I said, uh, it, the line would actually be decent, but it would uh, it'd go by so quick and we're on to the next thing that you didn't get a chance to land. I loved all the little jokes in the uh, police station, um, the desk sergeant assigning partners to everybody. Oh yeah, and you know, and uh, you know, so and so, you get the rabbi <laughs> because yeah, why not? That sounds that sounds like an '80s cop, you know, buddy cop film to me. The cop and the rabbi. Uh, the one one gets the cat. Uh, there was even a little like so and so. You get the you, you're going with the black and white, and you see someone who looks like Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. <laughs> In like a Sam Spade outfit. Oh, no, I thought it was hilarious. No, it, well, and it was fun when uh, when Danny ends up going to the police station with Jack, and uh, and he was just in a police station literally earlier that night, an actual one, and now he's going into this uh, big, at least what you're supposed to assume is like L.A. Uh, police mm-hmm. station, which is not legit in any way, shape, no. shape or form. So, and, and some of the stuff with the uh, the arguing with the chief, which is out of just about every cop movie, where the chief oh, yeah. just argues loudly and almost incoherently, um, yeah. to the point where they actually get to a point where all he is saying is gibberish. Yep. <laughs> like they're not actual words. Right. As long as he's getting it out loudly and it's breaking glass behind him. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense for this police chief to put Danny as Jack's partner <laughs> since he knows so much. Yeah, no, it's just they uh, uh, the absurdity of it all is there. I needed it dialed up more. I don't know. Interesting. Oh, I, I think if it went too far, it would truly be farce. And I think this does a really great job of walking that tightrope 
and, and, and not being taking itself seriously enough while still really being satire and really kind of poking the fun at the the genre in which it's trying. Fair enough. No, I I enjoyed watching this from beginning to end. Uh, it is a little too long. They there is some stuff they could trim out. They could maybe spend a little less time in the movie world, and like I said, do a little bit more of them in the real world, and like uh, make that a little bit more dire uh, for everybody instead of just for them. Yeah, and, and if you're gonna be farcical about this, and, and since this was supposed to be about movie making. They chose uh, essentially the movie premiere for the movie we were in already um, as the place to actually run into celebrities and and do all that. And I think if they had taken this more to like an L.A. movie lot kind of setup or or something like that, but then that didn't play with the fact that he's supposed to be in New York, but but didn't have to be in New York. Hmm. Could have been an actual L.A., which then they could have had some fun paralleling real L.A. versus Hollywood L.A. Um, yeah, no, it it would have been fun had you had Benedict you know, be the one to discover a real-world video store and all the different movies and start going through and, like I said, pulling villains out. And you'd have reports of people being robbed by Billy the Kid and that sort of thing. Yeah, because that's always the funky thing about a film unto itself. While films will often reference other films, the notion of pop culture within a film doesn't always... It's not always apparent. It's assumed that there is... Um, but they don't usually dive into it because there's all sorts of trouble that can be gotten into going there anyways. So the notion that they even in, in the Jack Slater world went into a blockbuster was almost a little surreal because you're like, okay, this is a movie actually lending itself to actually having movies in it, which doesn't usually happen. It would have been more fun on the front you're talking about to switch it up the other way, have them spend more of that time in the actual real world where either Benedict's doing that or or they cross over into the real world while Jack still thinks he's in his, something like mm-hmm. that. I could have had some more fun with some of that, but like you pointed out, they did stay in his world a little too long before we introduced the concept of transitioning back and then it was rush 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 to the end at that point yeah yeah no i i I do agree with that and they only very slightly uh, when jack's in the real world and he's trying different things and you know he punches his hand through a window and then he complains later my hand really hurts yeah you're like well yeah it's the real world you can't do that here yeah but he still did it (laughs) he still did it and he still survives a head-on collision with just an airbag with no injuries whatsoever it still very much feels like we're in the movie world, even when we're supposed to be in the real world. And those were the moments where I think it kind of lost me a little. Jack Slater, the character, um, being the over-the-top action hero where nothing goes wrong for him, really. For him to then... I, and I'm going to pick on that scene again, the the, the one where... He gets in a car and plays chicken with the other car. And even when he says it hurts, um, he then gets out and explains that he knew 
he wouldn't get hurt like the other one because that was a 1950s yellow cab and he was in a more modern car with an airbag. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, were you still that just means you were also hitting solid steel <laughs> too. Great. So again, the movie element played into that and they tried to explain it away as he's smarter than we know that he is. Mm-hmm. So and that that was the like okay, you've broken out of your mold here. You you went in a slightly different direction. I get what you're trying to do, but it 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 softened the blow of what they were trying to accomplish in the film for me. Nope, I, I will agree. The, the real world stuff could have been done better, yeah. and there were lots of mistakes, and they were kind of breaking the rules that they were setting down when they got to the real world, and that is unfortunate. That That does... That is where I think the film kind of starts falling apart. Mm-hmm. When they're in the movie world, I, I honestly don't think they do wrong when they're in the movie world, other than spending a little, little it's too much. It's just too time. much time there. Yeah. Uh, there are scenes where I'm, I'm trying to think of which scenes I would want them to cut, and there's I, all I can think of the scenes is the ones I would definitely not want them to lose. One I think is fantastic is when Jack goes to his apartment. He has. Nothing. There's nothing on the wall. He has no character outside of I'm a cop. Right. Out on the street. So he goes back to his apartment. It's almost devoid of anything. And there's always a guy in the in the closet ready to kill him. Well, and it, it it's yeah, there's always a guy in the closet ready to kill him. Every outfit in the cl- in the closet is the exact same outfit he's already wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There's a row of guns. They're all his normal his, his particular brand of firearm is all right. sitting there neatly on a rack. But again, okay, uh, but we're in the movie world when he's doing that. That wouldn't be in the movie world. Well, I guess in the movie world, though, he has to say, he, at some point he has to say, say I'm going home. So there's got to be a home for him. But to go to. the only way you get around that is the notion that at no point in any Jack Slater movie ever, does he? Do we ever see him in his actual place of residence? Right. You're you're suggesting that that as a fictional character, where we never actually get into that. If we're in the movie world as if it were a real place, there still has to be a place for him to go at the end of the day, and right. they're suggesting that this is that. But yeah, I think uh, what it doesn't do is doesn't really communicate whether. Are we watching the events of a movie or are the movies, is this like a, um, an alternate, a Roger Rabbit sort of thing? Yes. Where, you know, that all exists and we have to film it and that happens and that sort of thing. Or yeah, is, is the film world itself its own universe where things happen, whether it's on the screen or not. And and I'm going to pick on this because, because we've chosen to select, okay, we're, They've now rounded this out as being a a real place where they they exist beyond the scenes that we see, even if they're just kind of holding patterns like spots on a video game that don't really exist. Um, we're suggesting that, which then when he gets into the real world and he is coping with the fact that he, he is getting hurt and... He's having emotional conversations with women that he has never had and and all that. He then also struggles with the notion that he himself is a fictional character. 
and doesn't know how to feel about that. And given what we were doing in the film, that is a vibe that doesn't fit with what we were accomplishing so far. And this is where I, I keep coming back to the whole... It's not that it's not fun. It's a mess, though. It, it needs to tighten up and be more of what it wanted to be or go in a completely different direction. And that's where I'm getting the internal struggle when I watch it. All right. All right. Well, fair enough. You want to hear what some other people thought about it? I, absolutely. And then I will tell you what some other people thought about it. Excellent. Yeah. This one, unlike uh, NeverEnding Story, where we certainly hoped we would get a little bit more... Uh, you know, comments I think and we such. sprung that on people a little too too quickly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was not the case with Last Action Hero. Over on Facebook, Billy Flynn says it's way ahead of its time. I had a lot of fun with it, especially when he realizes that he's the sidekick. Talking about Danny when he's going, he's playing chicken on the bike, and you think I'm the it's okay, I'm the hero. This is the movie. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that that part again. I can't grant that. That was a cute moment. Uh, Charlie Chase says, completely underrated and deserves more recognition for what it attempted to accomplish. And I think that actually might be what it attempted to accomplish might be the key words in, yes. in your opinion. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Tracy Morris, she says, I agree with Charlie. Love the meta elements and the surprising amount of heart. Ken Bates is a huge fan, saw it in the theater and felt that people who didn't like it at the time didn't actually see it. <laughs> And uh, Cam Sullivan, he says, the best part of Zach Penn's virtual reality satire trilogy. He later wrote screenplays for Ready Player One and Free Guy. Talking about Zach Penn, who wrote the screenplay for Last Action Hero. Over on Discord, uh, Matt Flynn says, this movie was unappreciated by everyone. It's one of the smartest parodies I've ever seen because it's not only a parody of action movies, but of Schwarzenegger himself. He's a great comedic actor, and he pokes fun at himself nonstop in this movie. And to top it all off, Charles Dance seems to be having so much fun playing his villain role so over the top. I don't understand how people didn't like this movie. And over on Reddit, DiamondBarbie007 says, It's kind of lame and weird. Not one of Arnold's best, but I used to have it on VHS and watch it a lot anyway. <laughs> I love it. Sweet Vandal says, unironically a masterstroke. Criterion should do a re-release. Without a doubt, my favorite of the genre Metaflix. Ultraviolet with a one instead of an L. Saw it at the cinema when it was released, and it was fun. And Milk is for Babies 666, cherished childhood movie we watched over and over. Big Gun was our song for every sport and walkout. Watched recently, it is a nostalgically bad, but a really fun movie and unique story. And that's it. That's what we got from all our, uh, from the social medias. So mostly a lot of big fans, but a few of them did acknowledge that it's a little bit of a mess, but it's still a hell of a lot of fun. All right, so let's get into the the people that supposedly actually know. What did the professionals think of this film? Uh, oh, overall, it didn't do well. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the, the brighter side of things, uh, we get out of the Washington Post uh, from Dessen Howe. 
If there's one thing going for Last Action Hero, it's the construction of it all. Even if this intermixing of kid fantasy and adult shoot 'em up, Hollywood insider jokes and cheap Arnold puns doesn't completely bowl you over, it's clever and intriguing. That was some of the better. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I know I've read stuff from Vincent Canby of uh, the New York Times before. Um, he tends to, to hit a little harder. Uh, last, and, last Action Hero is something of a mess, but a frequently enjoyable one. It tries to be too many things to too many different kinds of audiences, the results being that it will probably confuse and perhaps even alienate the hardcore action fans. And this goes with a lot what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you went thinking you were watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger action film, that's not what this was. You know, actually, that makes me think of something. Between those two uh, critiques, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this film, it's almost written as if it would be really great as a kid's movie. But what kid would understand even a fraction of the references in the film. That's kind of where I'm with on Vincent on this. uh, Yeah. Is the notion, and and that's what I was struggling with. And again, in 1993, had I watched it at that time, maybe I might have some more of the fan love that that people, because I I love the the meta concept. I I love parodies, especially when they very convincingly poke fun at themselves while having fun doing it. And this did do that. Um, It was effective in that. It's when it gets into all the other little elements that it tries to do that muddies the water. Um, And and that's where I was at, is that whole notion that this could confuse you about what it's trying to be. Right. Um, Yep. No, no, I hadn't thought about it until you you read those two critiques. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, if I was like the age of Danny, watching an action movie like this where a kid goes into the movie world, how cool would that be? But I, I'm not going to get all the jokes. I'm not going to s- notice the cameos. No, no, not at all. Uh, so, uh, and I'm going to tie this up with, of course, one of my personal favorites, Roger D. Ebert. <laughs> Um, two and a half stars from Rogers, so not, not, not one of his favorites, but not one of his worst either. Right there in the middle. Yep. Um, I'm going to read two of uh, the excerpts from this one because these actually hit really... They're where they were. Uh, if anything, reading this helped me verbalize my feelings about the film. Because uh, he starts with, Last Action Hero is about the same subject as almost every other feature film ever made the possibility of blurring the line between the audience and the screen. We go to the movies so that we can vicariously live the lives of the characters who loom so glamorously above us. And the movies know that. Every moment of every shot exists with the full consciousness of the fourth invisible wall dividing the characters from their watchers in the dark. Really loved that, that particular statement. Um, he goes on to give a brief synopsis of what happens. He mentions, uh, other movies of the day that have done this, uh, where, uh, Woody Allen's, uh, the purple rose of Cairo, 
uh, had that that meta fourth wall breaking kind of element to it. He mentions Robert Zemeckis is uh, who framed Roger Rabbit as an obvious parallel to this. Uh, and then he ends with um, the movie within the movie shows the Slater character in a showdown with a villain and a psycho named Ripper who ex- exhibit the usual cliches of such characters in such situations. It's amusing to see the real-life Noonan turn up looking like a mild manner innocent after seeing him as a scuzzy weirdo. But the screenplay never really explains the plot of the Slater movie, and so there's nothing that gets our hooks in. We see chases, explosions, and spectacular stunts, but they're demonstrations, not drama. So that's kind of where I was at earlier with this too, the notion that when we're in the movie world, there's no there's no real drama there. Uh, there's nothing's gonna go wrong. So even the kid knows that. He's in there. They can do anything they want. There are no stakes. Um, and which goes into what you were saying. We were there too long. Because there are no stakes, it's fun to watch. It's fun to poke fun at. But it doesn't build toward anything. It's not until we cross over that now stakes are real. We can get into actual feelings we can get into some of what they're trying to set up, but then we blow through it too quickly. And, and that's where, for me, it, it, it kind of went a little off the rails. We are going to stay in the 90s for our next film. We're going to look at a popular radio show turned into a major motion picture when we look at The Shadow from 1994. A personal favorite. Yeah, this is a personal favorite of yours. I remember not being terribly impressed with it, So I'm, but it's... That was literally the last time I've watched this film, so I am curious to watch it now with today's eyes and see what I think of it. I'm going to throw in there real quick that I actually got to, I won tickets to go see this and almost won a replica of the ring, the the shadow ring at the showing. I was so disappointed when I didn't get it. Sorry. Yeah, no. But I remember distinctly going to that. So much fun. Yeah. Now, this would be very interesting. I've I've learned a little, quite a bit more about The Shadow uh, it, from the radio programs uh, since then. So it'll be even more interesting for me to see how they kind of uh, portray it on film versus uh, what I know of the radio programs and such. Mm-hmm. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks very much for listening, Tom. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you had fun, but mm-hmm. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it more. No, no, I, I mean, this is why we do these things, uh, but uh, I, I hadn't seen it in, in its entirety, so it was still a good time. Just Yeah, I, and it was a fun discussion. It I really was. You know, uh, appreciate you coming on. And We need to not always agree. It's okay. That's true. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see what happens in two weeks. Uh, thanks everyone for listening please follow the link and join us in any of the social media platforms and uh, let us know what you think of the shadow or if you didn't get a chance to talk about the last action hero you know please go ahead and drop us a, a note and let us know what you think about it there's also an email timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com we'll talk to you in a couple weeks bye everybody see ya